0: In this episode we talk about toxic diet culture please be advised that topics may include mentions of weight loss and gain examples of fat bias and discussions on disordered and restrictive eating please use your own discretion if any of these are difficult or triggering topics for you thank you welcome back to another episode of life after mlm today we're going to be talking more about toxic diet culture it's important and you guys need to hear it so Today, we've got Jennifer D'Amato, and she is an intuitive eating counselor and coach. I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show, Jennifer.
1: I am so excited to be here. I really am. This is amazing how you have just opened up this platform that you have to invite this discussion in. I love it.
0: Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, The more I did research on multi-level marketing and the more people reached out to me and asked me like, why? Or But what, why is that happening or how come, or where, how did we even get here? The more I started looking into different things like toxic diet culture and making those connections and reaching out to people like you and saying, we got to talk about this. Will you come on the show? Because it's really, really important. And, uh, you know, if it's coming across my feed, it's probably coming across your guys's feed too. And I've got questions, which I know you've got even more. So it's important for me to have these discussions. And I'm just so thankful that you're here to educate us today.
1: I love it. I love how you even mentioned, like, how did I get here? Which I think that is such a question I get from clients. Like, how did I end up here? I didn't think this was the path I was taking. I thought I was doing the best thing for my health. And how did I end up here? And I think that's something where when you discover the answer is when all the work begins.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with how you even got here. What is your story? How did you decide to become an intuitive eating counselor and coach?
1: Yeah. So... You know, I think my story is fairly typical where I grew up with diet culture just being so pervasive, right? Like everybody's on a diet. 17 years old, I thought I need to start, you know, shrinking the size of my body. My thighs are too big, you know, just living in that headspace. Puberty is awesome and really just kind of screws with us again when diet culture just surrounds us. You watch your parents and, and people that you admire always dieting. So first diet. 17. Really struggled with my body image. And then it just sort of continued from there into my 20s. Nothing ever stuck. I literally can say I had the thought of I suck at this. Like I'm the worst dieter. I can't keep up with this. I I just can't keep weight off. Had a bunch of babies. I have four (laughs) daughters. So I had a bunch of babies and just Literally probably for the first time allowed myself to eat normally, but of course beat myself up and I'll lose the weight after all of that. Well, in my thirties, I was approached by a friend about macro counting and I started what was, I was sold as a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. You don't have to diet again. You get to eat. Well, that turned to shit real fast. I, um, was tracking every single thing I ate. Now at the same time, I'm doing this. I'm working out two to three hours a week. So I'm losing weight and I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. I get hyper-focused and then it starts to not come off as easily. So I think what I got to tighten this up. I got to get more restrictive. So I do. And then I broke. I absolutely broke. I had become so obsessed with everything I was eating, doing. I was exhausted. I was angry. I had no sex drive. I don't even think people talk about that enough. I was the most miserable person when I hit the, what I thought was the goal weight. And I thought, this is it. Like you're telling me this is what I've been striving for my entire adult life. Just fell into this place of of sadness and almost a, a grieving process. And at the same time, all of this had been going on. I started a coaching program to learn about how to coach others. And I'm going to help other women discover this, you know, process and all of this. But I didn't want to sell weight loss. Like something in me even then was like, I don't know, like I didn't feel right that I could tell another human being like they needed to lose weight. Like that wasn't my, my place, but to build healthy habits. Cause I had in my own head, I'm just building healthy habits when in reality, I was just starving so, I went through this coaching process. And in the midst of all of this, when I finally hit that breaking point, I hit a breaking point f- like physically, emotionally, but I also hit a breaking point because I had a, built a business helping other women. So, I had already read actually the book, Intuitive Eating. I really think I read it with a very different lens. I was using it as a diet. I went back and re- reread it, started really diving into what is intuitive eating. Then I discovered I could actually be an intuitive eater and help other women do the same thing. That the whole reason, it wasn't me, I wasn't the problem, it was the diet, they're restricting the whole time. So I actually pressed into the pro certification for intuitive eating counselor. I have my degree in psychology, so I qualified for the counselor part, which was really exciting and literally changed my entire life. How's that for a summary? <laughs>
0: That's amazing. (laughs) And I love that you have that psychology degree because I've talked about it before. I feel like most of my body issues growing up, very similar to you, always saw the people that I love dieting. My mom was on everything you could ever imagine Mm -hmm. all the time. She was always on a diet. And yeah, like I've learned that the majority of those issues are all in my head. They're all psychological and mental issues.
1: Yes. I always say that, you know, that we have to address our thoughts first, you know, we want to go right to, well, tell me what to eat or how should I be eating? And even like wanting to heal our relationship with food, we want to go to the food, but we have to address our thoughts. I mean, I actually, the reason I became, you know, went into psychology and and got my bachelor's there was because I've been always fascinated with the brain. And I do believe one of my, my philosophies is that we can change our thoughts. We absolutely can change our thoughts. We've done it so many times in our life. We believed one thing. I always use the Santa Claus example. I won't share it on here necessarily because I don't know if someone's listening with little kids around, but there was a time you believed something and then you didn't, you can change your thoughts. And when we work on that part, honestly, the food stuff comes a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and, And we see those really restrictive beliefs all over social media, all of them. It's, it's, it's really wild to me. We see it so much in multi-level marketing because again, obviously it's about the bottom line. It's about convincing people that they are broken and that you have the answer to fix them. Yeah. Uh, when, you know, maybe we are not necessarily broken. Maybe we're just a little dented and we don't need a scam to fix us. We just need to listen to ourselves and have real conversations.
1: Yeah. And talk about the biggest scam, the 70 plus billion dollar scam that we live under, which is the diet industry and weight loss industry. You can kind of use those interchangeably, but 70 plus billion dollar scam that's been going on as long as I can remember.
0: Yeah, we say we jokingly say like all the time, like follow the money. Mm hmm. Uh, what, what's the loss rate of, of diet culture? It's very staggeringly similar to multi-level marketing.
1: There's some different studies out there, and I'm talking actual scientific studies that anywhere from two to 5% of people will lose weight and keep it off. If they've done intentional, and I want to be clear about that, intentional weight loss, which is a diet, right? We, we eat a certain way, we restrict foods, and it doesn't matter what one it is. I don't care if it's a program or a lifestyle, oh my gosh, the air quotes are going to be strong today, um, that any of those two to 5% of people, and what happens is, is that's what you're being sold. And I think that's where a lot of the commonalities between toxic diet culture, weight loss industry, and MLMs, right? You're sold the 2%. And even with studies with, um, with weight loss, you're given the information that happens at the beginning right? Just like my own story, right? You hear about the beginning that happens. And that's probably true for MLMs, right? At the beginning, people are interested and in all this stuff is happening. And you're getting so excited and traction and building your social media. It's the same thing with weight loss, right? So you're doing this diet and at the beginning, you're losing weight. Why? Well, because you're not eating enough, but you're losing weight, you're getting results and they sell you that part. They don't have these long-term studies that actually show you after two years and beyond the amount of people that have gained weight back and then some, and I'm not even addressing all the other effects, the negative effects that come from weight cycling, changing your weight set point, all of those other things. They're not sharing with you what happens in the long-term. You can go, like if someone is a Google fanatic listening, go look up even Uh, The Biggest Loser, I think people can access. There's a lot of studies. I know you need certain permissions, but go look up The Biggest Loser long-term study and you might have your eyes opened for the first time going, wait a minute. These were people we idealized, right? They were put in our face. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who haven't seen you know, The Biggest Loser, right? They hadn't seen that show and we praised them and we thought they're amazing. Look what they're doing. And when you look at the long-term study, And those who even stayed in it because a lot drop out. Oh my goodness. I could get into so many things, but they gained weight back and some even more than they had lost. And then they have all these other health markers, the things that are important, like our heart, our cholesterol, our blood sugar, all of these things get negatively affected by the weight cycling.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah. It's just, wow. It's, it's really fascinating actually. Um (laughs) it's It's fascinating and also like
1: sad and, and harmful and dangerous and all of that. Right. You know, and I know we kind of talked about this and I, I always go to, all right, so why, like, why do we enter into something that if I gave you all this information and said, the diet's going to backfire, like I always have my clients, like they can look at their own timeline, you know, since they started dieting and actually prove without a shadow of a doubt that diets don't work, but why do we do it? Like, why do you start in the first place? If you know, you know, you know, and even if you watched, maybe it was your mom or your aunt or somebody in your life, they did the same thing, right? They did the Weight Watchers and the Nutrisystem and all this, and they kept having to do it again and again and again. Why? I personally believe one of the greatest factors is because we live in such a fat phobic society. You are maybe not necessarily concerned with being fat, gaining weight, being in a larger body but you are definitely concerned how you will be treated if you are. And I think that wow, to yeah. me is like that deep root. Cause I can, t- I didn't share this part of my story. When I was losing all this weight, people were like, I mean, it was a daily occurrence of how amazing I looked and compliments and just showered with praise and look at you you're so dedicated and your body and amazing. And oh, what size jeans and all of these things. Since I gained the weight back and I'll tell you, and then some, I have not received any compliment or praise about my body. In fact, when I share about my body, it's criticism and you're, you're not strong enough. So you just didn't have willpower. If you just stopped eating that thing, like that's what happens. So people are so fearful and rightfully so of how they'll be treated in a larger
0: body. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important to understand that the word fat is not evil. It is a descriptor like tall, short, (laughs) you know, blonde. It's, it's not like fat as a, as a negativity and and like an insult. right? Right. Um, we all have fat and that's part of our life. It's a normal occurrence. Um, The fat phobia is something that I'm breaking, even as somebody who does and has had a larger body and has lived in a larger body. And and even now I, I feel that, I feel that stigma. I, you know, I've been doing intuitive eating and I've had a lot of personal issues that have happened in the last two years that have affected my mental health and my, my home life and all kinds of things. And I've lost weight, not because I was trying, but because it happened. And 100%, I get those compliments. And for me, it's not a compliment. Like, I'm like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But for me, it's a reminder of like everything I've been through in the past two years and everything that was hard. And I know to the outside perspective, it's like, oh my God, what has she done? She said, it's so good. But for me, it's like, oh my God, thank God I'm still here. Yeah. Thank oh. God that I'm still kicking and still breathing every single day because. There's a, lo- there's a lot that's gone on in my life that people don't know about. Uh, I try to keep my personal life private. And yeah, so even getting those compliments, because my friends really do think they're complimenting me because they also live in this toxic diet culture of fat phobia. And oh, my God, what size jeans are those? You know, again, I, I hate scales. I hate the numbers. I I, I-, I don't participate in any of that. Uh, for me, I know that I've lost weight just because the way things fit or gained weight because of the way things fit. And that's okay. I'm about fixing my brain and fixing my relationship with food so that it's not a trigger for me anymore so that I can enjoy that slice of cake and not feel like I'm a bad person or, Oh, well now I'm going to have bloating in the morning or anything like that, because that's mm. very toxic. And <laughs> You know, like I spent 40 years of my life hating myself and I don't want to spend the next 40 hating myself. So the, yeah.
1: the uh, long-term effects that we're not talking about, about the negative self-talk, right? Yes. Think about that because we have this underlying stress all the time, if we're constantly beating ourselves up, if we're constantly feeling bad about what we ate, if we're constantly saying I'm the failure here, then we are literally keeping our stress level. I always say it's the things you can't see, you know, the stuff going on inside that's having a greater effect on you than what you're eating. You know, we, we, we need to address the thoughts about food And those thoughts about our body, I always say, as it relates to food, because we, we have such a hard time separating the two. I mean, they go together, but not in the way we're taught, you know? So the way we're taught is you are what you eat, right? How many times have we heard that saying? So if I eat foods that are listed as bad, unhealthy, you know, that's not good for you. How do I feel about myself? Right. It it is directly related because the think of, I mean, I think about how I thought about myself when I was extreme dieting, when I was highly disordered eating, and I really thought I was better than everyone else. I was losing my crap. I was tired all the time, was definitely not the best version of myself. I seriously took a nap every day because I couldn't function, but I'm better than you because I only eat foods that are good for me. I know no one can see these air quotes. You know, they're like crazy out of control because we're taught pretty early on morality of food, right? We're taught really early that there's good and bad.
0: Absolutely. I remember like literally sitting in the 80s. I was born in 81. So I was in kindergarten. So let's what, like 86, 87, sitting on the carpet in my kindergarten class learning about the food pyramid at like age five, six years old and what was good and what was bad. Thanks Reagan administration. But you know, that's what it was. And it was like, well, you got, you have this, you have that, and you have to have it this way. And I just, from that early of an age, like it's a core memory. Like I remember this day and I was in kindergarten when I was introduced to this.
1: Yeah. And if you weren't, if it wasn't in a school setting, it was at home.
0: Oh, it was always at
1: home. If it wasn't, if it wasn't something you were being taught, you were being taught. (laughs) I mean, you just were, you were surrounded by it. And you think about especially those of us. So I was born in 79. So those of us who grew up in the 80s, I mean, the idea right now, we laugh at it that eggs were bad. Oh my god. Eggs were bad. And of course, we lived through so 1984, 85, when fat was like the most evil thing you could possibly eat. So we took all the fat out of our delicious food and yogurt, oh, poor yogurt, I feel for yogurt. Like fat was taken out of it and what did we do? We go, here's all the sugar, here's all the salt because we still want it to taste good. And now here we are living in the land of keto where everyone's like, give me fat. It is ludicrous. Again, you follow your own timeline, but then go and follow the diet timeline over history. I mean, I'm not even getting into stuff from like, 1920s, pre-World you know, Wars and all of that, because you would just fall on the floor at what people were doing. And then of course, you know, it came right in with how beauty standards, like it's all mixed together. How, wh- how we viewed certain foods over the course of your lifetime should make you go, huh, something doesn't seem right here. Like the, Again, I'm going back to that. Eggs were
0: bad. I mean, I remember that. I remember my mom being like- It was on Time Magazine. Like, Do you remember? Yeah. It was on cholesterol. Time Cholesterol. Oh, yes. eggs have so much <laughs> cholesterol. It's so bad for you. Don't eat eggs. Don't eat eggs. And then in the 90s, we have that entire incredible edible egg campaign to undo all of the bullshit uh-huh. we had done in the 80s. I know. I know. Do you
1: know, I actually was having a conversation with a client recently. Because finding a full fat yogurt is like a needle in a freaking haystack. It is almost impossible. And, you know, this is something that she desires to incorporate into what she's eating and the, and she can't find what she wants because that part's still stuck. You'd think, you know, with the keto craze, which you probably shouldn't get me going on that. But with the keto craze, you'd find more of these full fats, but you're not. And eggs. Oh my God. I'm like, I have a picture of myself kissing an egg because I feel that eggs are probably one of my favorite proteins to have. And they got I grew up when they were bad. I grew up most of the time where we didn't buy eggs. You know, we had to have just oatmeal at breakfast. So from you know, I just, I think go through that timeline and maybe if you're wanting to be like, all right, so I need to, to look at this, you know, objectively great, just go back and track for yourself what you remember coming out for diets just go look at it, try to be as objective as you can stand back. And then underneath that little timeline, put your own, the diets you've done, what you've tried. And then I even, you know, my clients, it's a little bit easier to walk through this where you kind of track what happened because if you needed, if diets worked and you lost the weight, you'd never need another one again. That's as simple as it gets, you'd never need another diet again, if diets worked. Right? I mean, you brought something else up earlier that I want to make sure I go back to because I think it's important if that's okay, where you, you know, the body that we're in, I think something that, again, is dismissed is our genetic blueprint. Like you do have a genetic blueprint. Yes, you may have manipulated that with years of dieting, right? Weight cycling, that yo-yo right back and forth. But you do have a genetic blueprint. I, I would say if you need proof of it, it's your feet, right? Just look at your feet. You, We're not sitting here trying to manipulate the size of our foot on a daily basis. Our feet our feet, our hair color, though, you know, we, we do make maybe adjustments here and there, but you have this genetic blueprint, your eyes and your hair color. So does your body and we fight it and we put this pressure on it and we manipulate it so that we actually live in a place where we're not even sure what it's supposed to look like. And then we go to where to find that we look outward. Well, I see these images on TV. If you go look at the average size of a female actress, I want to say she's like a two is what the recent research is showing. You go on social media and then you're seeing who's being praised, who, who's being um, talked about, right? People in smaller bodies. So you start believing, well, that's what my body is supposed to look like. And then you do all these things, restrict diet, limit. And you might be like me, right? Obsessively working out. I've got to keep going. And it still doesn't get you there because you do have this genetic blueprint.
0: Yeah. I I remember being in high school. I think I was a sophomore. I was a, a cheerleader. I was on the dance team. I mean, I was working out probably at least three to four hours a day a day because of sports and because of all of this and i was probably in the best shape because of all of that i was i thought i looked great um but i was and it's not my mom's fault but my mom has literally always succumbed to toxic diet culture my entire life she was doing fenfen and she was losing all kinds of weight cuz you know it's a legal ephedrine which is basically meth. meth and it was not banned yet and she was giving me fenfen i was 15 years old 16 years old giving me fenfen I got down to a size eight, which was probably the smallest I've ever been in my entire life uh, because I was literally starving myself Yeah, and I was 15 years old. And I think that was the first time I really remember being on a quote unquote diet mm-hmm. or a program or whatever bullshit it was. And I remember the last diet, quote unquote diet that I, that I tried Um, where again, it was like, fat is bad. And I cut out all fat without any talking to any doctor. There was no doctor that was like, you need to be on a diet. Nothing. It was all me. It was Mm -hmm. me watching TV and the news and and who was popular at the time. And just like you said, and me going, you know what? I could be better if I wasn't this. Mm -hmm. And I went on this no fat diet. Uh, and I just wasn't eating anything that had fat in it. Everything I bought was low fat, everything or no fat. And my hair started falling out in clumps and I got so sick. And I, I remember looking in the mirror going, what are you doing? Like, maybe you've lost five pounds. Maybe no one notices it, but you, Mm -hmm. who are you doing this for? Mm -hmm. What are you doing this for? Your hair is falling out in clumps now. And that was one of them. I was probably 26. Six, twenty-seven, And I mm-hmm. want to say that was one of the times where I was like, this is toxic. What am I doing? Yeah. What is going on? And I'm sure it wasn't the only, I, I know it wasn't the only time I say it was my last diet because it was quote unquote my last diet. But after I had my daughter, I joined, it works. So, you know, then MLM came into my life and it was like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're still toxic diet culture, but now you can kind of make money off of us too. And it just, it, I just I really implore you guys to look at this and to see where you were where you were at in your life when all of these things happened what your influences were why you were making these decisions who was encouraging you to make these decisions because unless it's a doctor and it's a health reason or something like that like what is going on
1: yeah and and that's usually very I mean okay I mean I don't want to get into that too much but unfortunately if you go to the doctors one of the first recommendations is, well, lose some weight. There's really not a lot behind that. There's some great resources out there on that topic, but there's, there's, there's a big difference between a correlation and a causation. There may be a correlation with a larger size body, But there's not necessarily and usually very, it's very infrequent that there's a causation. And that's really one of those things, you know, where I think we need to, again, be aware of the studies or the information that you're taking in, you know, who is the one who paid for that study? To be done. No, who's asking that? I, I know I asked that, but I can tell you the women I talk to, they're not asking that. They're like, well, this says I should be doing this, and this says it works if you do this. And of course, you know, programs, again, 70 plus billion dollar industry, they have the means to tell you anything they want you to believe. And we believe it because we're, you know, we're already we feel maybe insecure, right? You know, I think we go through that in other areas of our life. Maybe it's as a business owner. It's at, as whatever the type of career you have, it's as a mom, you know, as a partner, we have insecurities. We have them with our body. They play on the insecurities that we already have. It's like, why do you feel like they're reading your mind? It's because they do a lot of work to know exactly what you're struggling with. Like we've seen one of the most recent diet programs is Noom. And I am probably the biggest like anti-noom person you'll meet because they have co-opted. They've taken the language from intuitive eating to market. You know why? Because they know what we're doing. They know we're calling out this bullshit. They know that we are onto the lies. So they're trying to use a language. Actually, I don't see commercials very often. And I have people on Instagram. They'll send me stuff all the time. And like, did you see this commercial? Noom is using intuitive eating language. Because they know that's now what people are starting to get curious about. Wait a minute, there's another way to live. Because lifestyle, right, that marketing campaign only works so much. Now we have to get in on what's actually the truth, which is intuitive eating which is not a diet program, which is not a weight loss program, you know, which is really, I always tell people, like, I can give you the book definition, which is, you know, it's evidence based. It's this mind body health approach it's 10 principles. But what I always say is this is actually getting you back to who you were, what you believed about food, how you approached food before anything ever manipulated it, anything messages at home, clear your plate club. Um, I do have a lot of clients whose mom took them to weight watchers, like any of those messages. Are you sure you're going to eat that? Didn't you already have enough today? Any of those things touched it. It was, that's what we get back to as an intuitive eater is before anything ever messed with it, which I think is hard for people to imagine life without those messages because they usually start really early on.
0: And I know that you know, you bring up Noom uh, and I know that there are diet programs out there that have worked for people. And I don't want people that have had success with these and kept it off to be upset about talking about things that have worked for you. But we also have to remember that, what is it like less than 5% are that, right? Um, And so we have to understand that the greater scope here is that yes, some of these things may have worked. And the other thing is these are not meant to be forever, right? These programs are a short-term thing. Uh, I've met people that have had really great results with certain things. And I've met people that have horrible results with things as well. So again, we have to really look at the nuance here and understand that toxic diet culture um, as a blanket doesn't work for the majority of people. And if it has worked for you, um, and you are not still stuck in this toxic diet culture, and you actually have you know, gone through it, then we're super, super proud of you. But we also want people to know that that just, it doesn't work for everybody. And that is why we have these discussions. And that is why we talk about this because there are people out there that are like, but it worked for my friend. Why doesn't it work for me? And we really want to get to the root of what that is and actually answer those questions for you.
1: Yeah. And intuitive eating is personalized, you know, as much as there's, you know, 10 principles, they're guidelines, right? They do a lot of work, the inner work, right? The thoughts work and thoughts about food and how you feel about your body and, and all of the the messages, right? We just listed so many of them.
2: Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. DeleteMe then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash MLM, code MLM. Head over to Quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cottonwood doll, scoop neck tee, and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com M-L-M to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com M-L-M.
1: But it's personal, everyone has a different story, you know, and you brought up such a good point. Any comparing of self to others can be really dangerous. I always want to and I always I think this is a good opportunity to say any comparing self to self is also dangerous. But that comparison, even that, okay, so if it worked for her, I would say, you know, if she's not restricting at all, right, if that person's not restricting at all, and their weight is stayed off, it's probably because that's what their body is supposed to be at. That's their weight set point, you know, so great that they they really have gotten to that place where they've gotten to their weight set point. They're not restricting, they're not miserable, they're not, you know, going through all that beating themselves up. Yes. And I think there are the two to 5%. Absolutely. But for yourself, if you feel caught up in the negativity, if you feel guilty for eating food, if you actually, I would say a lot of people don't find pleasure, satisfaction in what they're eating, that's where I'd say, all right, you've tried all of this. And most people I talk to, I mean, I've heard the gamut, the 20 plus years, you've done all that and it hasn't worked. I know you've been told it's you it's not, would you be willing to try something totally different? And that's usually where they're like, is there something different? Like that really we're even taught everybody's dieting. Everybody's trying to lose weight. Everybody's focused on that, which really isn't true either.
0: Yeah. So let's get into it. Like what is intuitive eating and what does it even mean?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, the book definition really is this it's an evidence based, which is research backed, right? This mind body health approach. It has 10 principles. It was created by these two dietitians, actually trained under Evelyn Travolli. Elise Rush is the other one. It was actually written in 1995, the book, you know, when we talk about it as the resource. But the way I look at it is intuitive eating is this very personalized process of honoring your health, listening to your body, relearning to trust what your body says is, is true. You know, without questioning it all the time, Um, only, you know, your hunger level, you know, when you're full, you know, what satisfaction or pleasure, right. From food feels like. You know what your thoughts are. You know what your feelings are. It is internal because think about that opposite, right? Diet culture, diet is external sources, whether it's points or calories or whatever it is. This is internal to you. Um, like I told said before, this is not a food plan. This is not a diet. You're going to love this part. You ready? There is no pass or fail <laughs> at all with intuitive eating. It is a journey of self discovery. It's um, a connection of what it is you need in your mind, in your body. Um, There are 10 principles. I can go ahead and even share those if you think it would be helpful. Yeah, I would love to hear them. (laughs) Okay, so I'm just gonna go through them and I always like to preface it with, they're in this order, they're not always done in this order when you do the work, Um, but there is a a method even behind the thought of why they're in this order. So the first one is reject the diet mentality. It's one of my favorites, excellent starting point. Um, The second one is honor your hunger.
0: The third, that's a good one.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's my favorite, because it means you're eating again. Yay for food. (laughs) The third is make peace with food. This actually can be, I think, one of the most challenging principles, because that really means all food, and that all food is available to you that we're working through a lot of those thought messages, right, we are really diving deep in that. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the fourth, which is challenge the food police. Like I wish, like if your podcast, right, Uh we had sirens going off, like that's the point where it's just like, you know, like there's so many messages. The food police are the worst and they're the ones bringing in that morality that we talked about, the good and bad and judging you and shaming you. So learning to challenge the food police is a skill that develops over time and with practice and a lot, a lot of self-compassion. Self-compassion is usually the first thing I focus on with any of my clients because of the messages that are going to come up when we address making peace with food and challenging the food police. So those are like, I mean, those are heavy enough, but then we move into. yeah Well, (laughs) I was even going
0: to say like that whole food police, like Mm -hmm. you could be living under the same roof as the food police. So every single meal you're having is like, oh, you're going back for seconds. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's kind of a lot of butter. Don't you think? Oh, Mm. like you don't need to use so much salt. I mean, I feel like I've had these, these things happen to me within the last two weeks.
1: Yeah. Where I'm just like,
0: uh, yes, I can. And I will. And just because you said I use a lot of butter, I'm going to add some more.
1: And that food police can be external like that. And even setting boundaries, right? We talked about not commenting on someone's body, not commenting on someone's food intake is just
0: as important. Oh, I mean inter- I am I mean, right there if someone says something. <laughs>
1: yeah, we <laughs> like, internalize uh... those messages and those food police become a voice in our head. Right? And diets really do create the voice in our head of the police. Even if no one else is around us to say it, if we have not done the work to resolve those thoughts, man, it just comes in, you're questioning yourself whether it's before, during or after you've eaten something. The fifth one is discover the satisfaction factor. I love this one because I think most of us have really lost that connection of pleasure with food. Um, We're really bad at it in our culture. Like we're really bad at believing even like food can just be fun. Food can have pleasure and that you deserve to be satisfied with what you eat.
0: Seriously, that has been like my favorite rediscovery is mm-hmm. that like it, food is pleasure. Again, it's not punishment. I'm not like, yeah. oh, I'm going to have to run off these M&Ms. Like it's literally like, ooh, I'm going to have a whole handful and it's okay. Cause it's about yeah. moderation and balance for me. Like just finding pleasure again, as opposed to punishment in food mm-hmm. has been wildly changing in my life. And it is, it's been incredible.
1: Yeah. Do you know what a lot of my clients find when we are focused on that is they've noticed they've really cut variety out of their, you know, their nutritional intake. When I say diet, meaning what they're consuming, right. They've cut out variety. I had a client recently. Oh my goodness. It had been over 20 years since she had made beef stroganoff. And in the work that she had done, she was like, uh, you know, I'm going to do this. It took some, you know, work we had been doing. And she's like, I'm going to make beef stroganoff. And really even to focus on like, is it as good, you know, as you would remember it and all that. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. I actually made beef stroganoff that same week we were working on it. Cause I was like, I love beef stroganoff. It's not a fan favorite of my kids. So they just ate the steak part of it. And I was like, screw you all I'm eating the beef stroganoff. And she, to be able to incorporate that again, was a game changer for her. I mean, the fact that she had enjoyment again, literally calmed her whole nervous system. Like even just to be like, wait a minute, I can enjoy this. I can show up and taste it and just take it all in now different from that. Cause I, I like to see the distinction is you, you know, being satisfied and then also understanding what fullness feels like. So the, the sixth principle would be to feel your fullness and, Usually some, some people like they can really feel hunger signals, but not fullness very well. And then I also have some who really feel when they're full and don't feel the hunger. So depending on where you are is where we focus on first, but again, it's, it's feeling it and also trusting it and respecting it that when I feel this, um, the seventh one is cope with your emotions with kindness, and of course, we're talking a lot about emotional eating without judgment, without shame, um, without any sort of you know shoulds. I don't use should or shouldn'ts a lot at ever. My clients all know those words are like usually off limits. But to be kind to yourself, the eighth one, respect your body. That looks different for everyone. I'm not a big proponent of the body positivity movement. I think it's really hard for us to get to positive or love, right? Like I need to love my body, but how can you show your body respect? So we focus on that. The ninth one is movement. Um, they kind of say, feel the difference. Sometimes even the words like exercise or workout have negative feelings and memories. And, and so I would like to use the word movement unless a client's more comfortable with they exercise or they work out, um, but all movement counts.
0: You know, I try to, I'm not a huge workout person. Uh I, Some of the things that I do, I'm waiting for like my bagel to toast. I might do 10 to 20 push push-ups on the kitchen counter just be like, okay, we're going to do this really quick while I'm waiting. I'm like, I got three minutes. How many I c- can I do? Um, another thing is just going for a walk mm. and just be like, I'm just going to walk for 30 minutes. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to walk to the end of the road today. I'm going to go left tomorrow. I'm going to go right. We're just going to walk for 30 minutes. I'm going to walk for 15 minutes. I set my alarm. And when that alarm goes off, I turn around and I walk back. And that's that. okay too, right? Um, yeah. another thing that I've been doing that's really great is I will just blast music when I put the laundry away. I got the bed full of clothes, I got the bed full of hangers, I got music on and I'm working out and I gotta yeah. turn the fan on because I start sweating <laughs> because I'm working out and I'm lifting all the clothes and dancing around. And those are really great ways to add movement without feeling that you're working out or that you have to get in 30 minutes or anything like that. They're just really easy. Here's another thing. Park at the back of the, the parking lot and just walk to the grocery store. You know, Put the bags on your arm and leave the cart at the door and carry the bags to the car. That's another really easy way to add just a little bit of movement that isn't gonna take too much. And again, this is for able-bodied people. If that's right. not something you can do right now, then that's okay. We work up to it. Not everybody's workout's gonna look the same. Not everybody's exercise and movement's gonna look the same. Do what works for you and then push yourself. You don't need to, you know, be looking at anybody else, be like, today I did 10 push-ups. Tomorrow I'm gonna do 15 or whatever. It's a complete personal experience. And it, it's, it's actually become pleasurable again. That's what I
1: was, Yes. It, and honestly, I think movement without pleasure is not movement. You're going to enjoy movement attached to weight loss is not going to be something you want to continue, or you're going to ultimately find long-term pleasure in movement for punishment to earn or burn is something that's going to backfire. So all movement counts. And you know what? You can also rest. You can also say, I'm not gonna move my body today. There are many health benefits, and I would even say mental health benefits, right? To movement, even if it is that walk, or I mean, I'm a big dancer too, all the time, all day. So I love that. But I also have days where I don't do any movement without, and there's no judgment or shame. Attached to that. And again, depending on your story and what's attached to movement, right? Attached to exercise, then that's kind of where you might need to go and heal those parts and then invite what feels good and pleasurable. Now, the 10th one, I want to always say the 10th principle. I think this is where misconceptions come in with intuitive eating, because, you know, I've heard a lot on social media that well, intuitive eaters just eat pizza and cookies and don't care about what they're eating. And they don't, they have no regard for nutrition. That is a lie. We're debunking it like right here, right now, the 10th principle. And the reason it's actually 10th, there's a purpose. It's honor your health with gentle nutrition. You know, you have to remember there's a lot of individuals who struggled with eating disorders and they use intuitive eating as part of their healing journey. And that nutrition part can't come first. And I actually don't think for anyone, I think putting it last is very purposeful because you've done the healing work. You've done the work on your thoughts and how you feel about food, how you feel about your body. Then we bring in that balance Right. Where it does. How does food feel in your body? You know, do you enjoy certain vegetables? I was just talking with a woman, you know, we were talking about how we grew up with like boiled vegetables. You know, I always say like until they were dead. I mean, I don't know if you can kill a vegetable, but they were dead, right? They were mush, dead, and disgusting. I hated
0: (laughs) Brussels sprouts because my mother boiled them whole. Oh,
1: Oh, But now if you roast it, like, I don't know where roasting was from the, you know, 1984 until 19, maybe 2002 is when I figured it out. Like, wait a minute. You can put these in the oven with a little <gasps> bit of oil, a little bit of salt, and they taste amazing. Where Brussels have been sprouts <laughs> are probably
0: my favorite vegetable. There are so many different ways mm-hmm. to zhuzh them up and make oh, them I amazing. I, I love it. freaking love Brussels sprouts now.
1: But inviting that in, right, having, again, so this is that variety piece and also considering, that your body does have nutritional needs. But remember I said way back when we started this, we want to jump to that part. We want to jump right to the gentle nutrition. But unfortunately, if we do that, we haven't done all the work of every other principle where you actually feel so much more connected to yourself that you know exactly what you want, when you want it, you trust what your body's telling you. So when it comes to inviting these other foods in maybe or creating that balance, it doesn't, it just feels natural. Like it just, I always hear like this just, just coming so easy. Yeah. Because you've let go of these rules and rigidity and restriction that inviting these other foods and having that variety, honoring your nutrition feels easy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I have ADHD. I, I, I don't hide that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really find that intuitive eating, helps my ADHD. Right. Mm-hmm. So in the past I would go grocery shopping with a list and I'd be like, these are the things we're going to make this, this week. You know, this is what my family wants. Now that I'm single and it's just me and my daughter, like we go grocery shopping when we're hungry. And I'm like, what do you want to eat this week? She's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, can we get some mangos like, yeah, let's cut up some mangoes and let's get a pineapple. Ooh, that's what we're going to do this. We're going to make some fruit salad. That sounds good. You know, I'll maybe grab a bag of like my favorite beef jerky. I'm like, Ooh, these will be good snacks. Get the things that like I'm really feeling in the moment and that I'm really obsessed with, with my ADHD that I know I'm going to eat, that I know I'm going to find pleasure and nutrition in. And it's been really, really great. Yeah. And I even find like when I buy the sweets, cause I'm like, Ooh, that cupcake sounds really good. I'm not actually like looking to eat that sweet stuff mm-hmm. for me. It's more like it's there if I want it, but I'm not tempted by it now. Mm-hmm. I-, I don't know why. Why? Uh, maybe because again, I'm not restricting myself. I'm like, if I want that's, the cupcake, that's it's exactly
1: there. it. Right. That if you don't, so restriction will always lead to overeating period, end of sentence. Like I, there is no getting around that restriction will eventually, no matter what lead to overeating and or a binge type behavior, right? Always, every time that is how our brain works. You know, what's really amazing is intuitive eating invites you to honor those cravings right? It's a lot easier when you honor those cravings, diet culture shames you for even having the craving. So, you know, that's that honoring your cravings is even just sometimes its own work that what happens when you honor them. And I love that meal planning idea, you know, kind of, that's how we approach the week as well. Um, I mean, I'm feeding a family of six, so I do a little bit more planning now, but we really kind of like, what do y'all have a hankering for? What sounds good to you this week? Does anybody have any requests? And that includes myself, of course, which, you know, I, I love that when we invite those in, we're not sitting there trying to fill that need in some other way.
0: Yeah. You know, my, um, my current ADHD snack obsession, this is so funny. We just, like I said, we got the pineapple. We got the mango. I cut it up. I put it in my little snapware in the fridge. So it's all prepped and ready to go whenever I want a bowl. Then I just got some chia seeds. I freaking love chia seeds. I don't know why it's just like one of my things. And I just bought some like fruit. I got some mango nectar, mango juice, whatever, like a naked juice. And Mm -hmm. I just mixed it in and I made like a chia gel and I'll put a nice bowl of pineapple with a couple scoops of the mango chia gel on top. And it's You can ask some of my friends. I'm like always eating it. They're like, you are so obsessed with this. I'm like, I just really like it. And it's really Mm -hmm. nutrient and it helps me with my fiber. I don't have a gallbladder. Getting fiber into my diet is really important just for my own gastrointestinal stuff. Mm -hmm. And so being able to add these chia seeds, like I've already noticed that my body responds to it really well, and I'm like, okay, like this was cheap and easy. I mean, a bag of chia seeds was like nine bucks, and I was like, Yay! but I mean, I feel like I'm gonna have chia gel for like a year. Like, there's just <laughs> so much; it gets so much bigger, uh, and it's been it's been delicious. So, if you guys like chia, that's a really fun, easy way to like. I like texture and different flavor combinations together, and so just having fun with your food, bringing back in that pleasure, and again, not restricting or not being like this is bad that's too much sweet like eat your fruit like it's great fruit is delicious that's how you get a lot of water in a lot of fiber in uh and I've been having a love affair with pineapple the last couple months just because I'm like yes this is so
1: good I love when that happens too like when those things and they ebb and flow and they change and now not to show up with judgment and not show up with you know, self-criticism, like, well, why would you want that? Like, what's going on with you? I've actually watched my daughters start to like pay attention to their body. They're all intuitive eaters. I think they're the best I've ever seen to where they're like, I think my, you know, my cycle is even going to start. Like, I just notice I can't get full right now. Like I can't, you know, and I want, you know, sometimes it's the salty, sometimes it's the sweet. We're all have those different preferences. Um, and then when you honor that without judgment, Man, you live a much more peaceful life and you can just worry about yourself, not what anyone else is doing, which isn't that beautiful that you get to honor your own body, worry about how your health, your body without caring what anybody else is doing.
0: Yeah. And I also love just like how, like you said, ebb and flow. Like sometimes I will plan because I'm like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this. And then we're going to do this with the leftovers and I'll plan a meal spend hours and make this huge mess. And sometimes my daughter's like, eh. and I'm like, what? I just spent two and a half hours making this, you know, I just don't really feel it. And I'm thinking you kid, you know These, what kids. I mean? These kids. But at the same time, like in between those planned meals, sometimes my daughter's like, I just kind of want like spaghetti tonight. Is it cool if I heat up those leftovers from the other night? And I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. She's like, is it cool if I heat it up now? Cause it's like 4:30, and I'm, I'm hungry now. I'm like, sure. And then when I go to her later on and say, "Did you want something else?" She's like, "No, I ate. I ate, and I'm fine. And I'll make myself my own little snack." I I feel like um, I'm very into like charcuterie boards. Oh like yeah, yeah. Personal charcuterie oh. boards, right? So I have like all of the stuff to make my own little paper plate. I've got like you know a little bit of almonds, a pickle, some like meat or some cheeses, some little crackers and for me, like, it's really pleasurable. It's fun to create this like variety. Again, the ADHD is like, yes, the salty, (laughs) the sweet, the crunchy, the soft, the textures, everything. Oh, And it's so pleasurable. And I I can't even tell you how many times growing up, it's like snacks aren't a meal. And I'm taking that back and going, yes, they are. Snacks as a meal is my favorite meal. Yeah. And when you're so in tune
1: with your body, when you know, when you're hungry and you trust that you're getting what you need and you also trust your fullness, there's a big difference in how you show up with whatever food is in front of you. There are times that I will literally take a bite of something that I really thought I wanted. I took a bite and I'm like, well, this sucks. It's not hitting the spot at all. I don't want it anymore. And I stopped eating it. We had cookies in the house once and I don't like store-bought cookies. I should know better, but I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. Took a bite. It was like, well, this is pretty terrible to me and it's, I don't want it. And I put it back. I let people know I took a bite. If you don't want to eat it fine, we'll end up getting rid of it. And, and that's fine. But if somebody else wants it, I didn't like it. This is a common occurrence. Not like uh, all the time I'm eating food and putting it back, but that if it doesn't light me up, if it's not hitting that spot, I actually will say, no, that is as much respect for your body as you can get where, you know, we're, we're taught early on eat what's in front of you finish what's in front of you. No waste. Children are starving. All of these messages that screw with us right into adulthood. And when you are free from those messages, you literally, this is a, a marketing term. I don't know. It's, it's part of intuitive eating, but it's food freedom because you're literally free. You don't have any of those messages weighing you down. You're second guessing yourself. You're wondering, um, you know, recently I asked my own children, like, do we have food rules? Because I teach on food rules so often we break those down. Part of rejecting diet culture is actually breaking down food rules. And so I asked them because I'm like, I've never asked them, do we have any food rules? And I, I got a couple of responses where, um, you know, we can eat what we like. Hell, yeah, and the other one was if we 're done, we 're done, we can leave food on our plate it doesn 't really matter. I was like, and now I have one mother of the year, sorry, everybody who's listening it 's right here. I need the award this I mean I like the gold star rate right on my forehead like that 's what 's happening because that to me is the biggest win because they 're going to carry that message, those truths about their body and food into adulthood, just like I carried the negative messages, right so if I can give a piece of advice, if there's anyone out there who's in a parental caregiver role, let's allow for intuitive eating because kids are actually naturally born intuitive eaters. So were you, right? At, at one point you were, but that they actually do trust their own body. And if, even if you just said, all right, for one week, one week, I'm going to try that on and let my kids kind of be the intuitive eater. Like if they say they're hungry or they say they're full, that that's true for them. And I know it's annoying when you're like, I just made this whole thing. And then you said, you're not hungry, but then you come back two minutes later now, or you said you were full, but then you came back 20 minutes. Let, let them honor that and see what changes and what happens. Just try it on one week. That's all I'm asking.
0: Yeah. And when, when I made that meal and she looked at it and she was like, "Uh," you know, she had like two bites of it and she was like, I'm just kind of done. And I said, okay, she goes, what should I do with it? And I asked her. I said, Well, are you going to eat it later? She goes, Maybe. I said, Okay, then put it in some leftover container and throw it in the fridge. But sometimes she goes, mm, Probably not. It, it's probably not going to reheat very well. I'm like, Well, then throw it away. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I grew up for the keep the clean plate club. Yeah, and it was like you have to eat it. You're going to sit there until you eat it. Yeah, and then the other thing was, Oh, you're not going to eat it for dinner. Well, it'll be waiting for you at breakfast and like mm-hmm. that. Created so much anxiety for me, yep. so much mm-hmm. fear around food, so much just eat it now when it tastes good because it's not gonna taste good tomorrow and you're cereal. Bowl. Like I, I mean, and I know my parents would, they never followed through on that ever, but that threat was always there. And I was always so fearful. And I don't want to have fear around food. I'm trying to break those generational curses. I'm trying not to have that with my own daughter, and absolutely, like, she is like so woke on the food police. If someone <laughs> says something to her, she's like, "Food doesn't have moral value." And yes, this girl girl. is ten years old. <laughs> yes, okay? I yes. mean she's a little spicy, but like, I can't she imagine where she'd
1: ever get spiciness <laughs> from. But I love that. I mean, and think about that. That. This really is breaking generations of dieting. and I, you know, I, I, always, I always talk to women where I'm not here to blame our parents and get on them and make them feel bad. That's not what it is. But what we can do is say it stops with me. And that's what I'm here. I feel like that is the mission I've been called to is to say it stops with me and let me help you say it stopped with you. Because when we heal our relationship with food, those other things, whether it's your own children, or maybe it's friends you're around or, or grandkids, even, because I do work with a a lot of women who are older, like you have the opportunity to break diet culture completely. Because the thing is, once we stop buying into it, it has to stop. If we don't, if we don't pay the money, give the time, give our energy, give our soul to something and I think this is another, right, that parallel to MLMs, it's going to stop. If people figure out the lies that you've been told, then they're not going to buy into it any longer. It's it's going to cease to exist. That's a big dream of mine, big dream. I realize that, but I'm willing to take that on because I know what happens with a life of dieting. And I know what happens with a life of intuitive eating. And it's not too late to start. It's not too late to say, okay, I'm done, like I can see it's not working. Maybe they did the the timelines, they're looking at it. They're just hearing the truth. They're going, I'm done. Even feeling bad about eating food, having food guilt. Oh, food guilt. Like they're done with it. You can, it doesn't matter where you are. I've literally worked with women 65 and 70 years old who said, I just don't wanna spend whatever years I have left feeling crappy after I eat, feeling bad about myself, beating myself up.
0: Absolutely. I feel the same exact way. And I'm I'm glad that I'm figuring it out in my 40s and not in my 70s. Yeah. Because I got a lot of years ahead of me of enjoying food as opposed to feeling trapped and controlled by it. Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. And again, like I said, it's freeing. It really and even makes I mean, you're talking about something we we all are not like I'm not jumping up and down to go to the grocery store. But dang, it can be more, that can even be more pleasurable when you're not feeling restricted. I can only buy these kinds of foods, right? This doesn't fit, or this is a cheat. Don't even get me started on the word cheat meal or cheat food, Ugh. but you're not you know, bound by all these rules. You show up and say, this is what I would really like this week. If that's available to you. I know we're, we're kind of speaking in those general terms, like if that's available to you that you can. Um, go to the grocery store and ask yourself that question with a little bit more ease. You know, I just want to be clear that I know that in not all instances that's available to people.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a good point about accessibility. Like we talked about that before we hit record and that's another food shaming, right? Like people saying like, oh, McDonald's, that's so bad for you. You know what? We ate McDonald's two nights ago and it was friggin' delicious. You know, I I got the large fry because I was like, you know what? I deserve it. And it was good. You know, I know it, it wasn't exactly. bad. I didn't feel bad about it. I, we had a good time. My kid was above the moon. She was like, yes, McDonald's.
1: One of my favorite things is canned peas. I grew up eating canned peas. I don't know. My grandmother would put them like, even with her Mac and cheese, I even had them. This is, I, people talk about cravings, weird thing. I'll have them with like, I'll make homemade sauce and pasta and I put canned peas. Like I love it. <laughs> And for years and years and years, I would not allow myself to eat canned peas. They're freaking peas. I mean, goodness gracious, because they came in a can. They weren't fresh enough, which isn't really true. And we're not talking about how products were previously canned, you know, years and years ago. And something I truly enjoyed, I can remember it was probably three years ago, I think I finally allowed myself to have canned peas again. And damn, were they the most delicious thing I had ever had again, I was like, why did I spend so long shaming myself and not allowing myself to have something that also is easily accessible to me to get those you know I'm not stressed about budgets or money or any of those things to get that Um, there's a lot of a lot of shame around uh, this whole other market of, you know, you need to eat organic and you need to eat farm fresh and all this. And you know what? If you have that accessible to you to, you know, your neighbor's giving you eggs. I mean, I give you all the high fives. If you can get the freshest of fresh from the garden, like, you know what? That's awesome. But to shame people who can't or who actually don't desire to do so, is really, really going down a dangerous road. I think if we could put all this aside and just choose to mind our own damn business and be kind, I think we'd be doing okay. But we have a whole idea. I, it's, I, it's ludicrous. I know. I know. But, but when it comes to food, there's so much built in shame And it's, I mean, whether it's organic, whether it's frozen, whether it's canned, whether I'm eating meat or I'm not, or there's so much attached to it that this is why, if you go back to, I know what I want to do, which most people don't because they've been using this external guide, but I know what's best for me and I trust it. And I don't care what you're doing makes a big difference.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, You want to know my favorite canned vegetable? Oh, I do. I do. I do. Uh I love corn niblets. I love them. <laughs> I love little corn niblets. I don't know why. I just the corn do. is
1: delicious.
0: And then french cut
1: green beans.
0: Oh my gosh, we <sighs>
1: literally just had these in my house my husband's favorite side dish is that, um, the one you make it Thanksgiving with the, oh, onion, like the green, bean, green casserole. bean casserole. I don't even
0: like green bean casserole, but I love me a can of French. I forgot how good
1: they were. Cause I made the casserole, but then I had leftover cans of this. I'm like, these are amazing. Now I'll tell you, most of my kids did not like it. I did not force them to eat these delicious green beans, even though I'm like, listen, I don't, you're missing out. Okay. They, I think they tried them to make a good judgment. They didn't, it was a texture. Because you know there's there's same with my cut. daughter, it's a texture thing, you know. And I again, I'm like, that's fine. There's plenty of other options of something to eat, but I seriously, those are so good, you know. Again, canned products, oh, and corn. Talk about terrible messaging. I mean, I was again deeply immersed in diet culture and couldn't eat corn because I'd be fat like a cow. Literally, the thought I lived with and never ever would eat corn. I mean, it's crazy to think of it now. And I I can laugh at myself. Like I can be lighthearted, but at the time I literally would have these mess. Oh, don't eat corn. You're going to get fat. You shouldn't eat. That's what they feed cows. Don't do it. You're going to be, I mean, this is what I carried around with me
0: for years. I will tell you, my daughter will not eat canned corn and will not eat canned green beans. But if you throw a corn cob on the barbecue and you grill it up and it gets a little blackened, she Mm -hmm. will eat the hell out of that. And also my daughter loves fresh green beans, which is like, I I figured she'd like the canned stuff, but the way that we do it is we'll clean them up and we saute them in some butter. Oh yes. And then right at the end, about like five minutes until they're ready, when they're just starting to get a little soft, we throw in a handful of like the the real bacon pieces that you get in like the salad aisle, Uh just some bacon. That girl will like eat everyone's low. Are you going to finish your green beans? There's more green beans in the pan. Like she will eat mine off my plate. Like I don't even know, but that's a really great kid friendly recipe. You add bacon to anything. And my kid will probably Um, add
1: bacon to anything period. Let's just do it. But I think what you, we learned from this is we actually do have food preferences starting at a young age and if you get immersed in diet culture, a lot of that gets restricted. It's yes, it's about restricting food, calories, however you're looking at that, you know, whatever you're doing, you're restricting, but you're restricting those food preferences. So what happens is, like I told you, right, it's always restrict overeat. You usually go to those things in excess. You want them. So imagine if you actually lived your life and every so often you had some canned corn niblets. I love that we're using the word niblets, Um, but that if, you know, those canned peas, whatever they are, and it really is whatever those represent for you. Like imagine if they just were part of your normal eating on a regular basis, like my client who had beef stroganoff, she's like, I'm going to actually put this in my rotation, you know, maybe once or twice a month. Like I'm going to have it, I'm going to enjoy it again, that you're not when you get it in front of you going, and now I'm going to consume it fast, and without paying attention or really enjoying it, because I haven't had it in so long.
0: Yeah. So what are some really easy ways that those of us listening today can start, if this is something that we want to do can start on that intuitive eating journey, like something that we don't even have to go buy stuff we already have in our house, what are ways that we can sort of move into that space?
1: Yeah. So I think it's actually going to be something right in your head because I do, I want to go right to the thought process. So what if instead, instead of labeling foods, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, because even that label gets us all messed up. You go neutral, call the food what it is. So instead of, you know, well, I'm having a really healthy salad, say I'm having, you know, greens and some tomato and uh, croutons, cheese, and ranch dressing, you know, call it what it is. Start removing the food labels, taking them out and notice how you feel. You actually can do that with whatever's already in your house, wherever you are, if you go out to eat, if you're at home, if you're at McDonald's, if you're at the grocery store, it's not I'm buying these bad foods or even I'm buying sweets or treats or any of those things. I'm buying. Mini donuts. I'm buying Gala apples. I'm buying, you know, spiral pasta. Kids love that. That's what they like. You call it what it is, and start removing those food labels. And then just, if you if you're a journaler, write down what you're feeling about it. Notice, you know, how it makes you feel not to label something. And I would say, if you can, if you're like a, you really want to press into that, write how you feel before you know, what it was like eating it without those labels, and then how you feel after. And just do that for, I don't know, try it on for a week. I always say that, like, give it a whirl, see how it feels. Did you notice anything? And if you're like, well, I just notice I don't, I don't feel as bad. That to me is huge. Count that as something you're learning. Again, this is a journey about self-discovery. This is pressing back in that, great. If you learned something from it, maybe you, or maybe you need a little longer with it because we're so used to it. i you know, I hear all the time. Well, what if I just say it? Like it comes out. Yeah. That happens often. So just be gentle with yourself or myself. Nope. This isn't bad, or this isn't unhealthy. This is and name, the food. So we're coming a really neutral approach to start.
0: I think that's excellent. Yeah. Removing the morality, removing the shame, removing the toxicity. Mm-hmm. It's an apple. It's an apple with peanut butter. It's not a treat because it's got sugar in it. It's an apple with peanut butter. In fact, I'm going to tell you, almond butter is better than peanut butter, but whatever. I don't Um, know.
1: you because crunchy peanut butter I'm sorry that smacks everything so okay crunchy <laughs> yes but
0: smooth almond butter wins on that
1: <laughs> I feel a debate coming on but we'll save that for another time I'm putting a poll up that's what's happening we're voting I need to hear what people think about this
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know what it is but apples with almond butter slaps it's mm. so good it's mm. so so good
1: now see now I'm starting to salivate and think I don't have either in the house and it might go on the grocery list just to test your theory out.
0: Yeah, you know, and another way that I will think of things, uh, I'll say, you know, what has brought me pleasure in the past? Mm-hmm. I love cucumbers with like fresh lemon and salt. It's just like a fun little, my dad would make them, he would add, um, apple cider vinegar, and it would be apple cider vinegar and lemon juice and, and salt. And he made, he just called them like dinner pickles and they would just go on the table. He'd put ice cubes in them to keep it cold. (laughs) Very strange. My father was a very interesting man, but they were like little dinner pickles and they just went with salad. And sometimes that's all I would eat. He's like, you're going to have salad? I'm like, no, I'm just going to have a handful of croutons and some of those cucumbers.
1: Oh my goodness. That's pretty and cool. so- I don't put anything fancy on my cucumbers, but slice cucumbers yeah. out. I just leave them out while I'm cooking dinner. If someone's hungry, they grab stuff. Aren't cucumber, I don't know, cucumbers and feta, I got to tell you that to me is like, oof, I love it. I love it.
0: so good. Girl, I, I'm getting I so love, hungry. I, I can't, I know, I, I can't right? handle this right now. I'm like, I'm going to need something to eat. <laughs> well, even this morning, my friend uh, called me and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm prepping interviews today, but I have like an hour and a half to kill. And so we went to breakfast. And usually when I go to this place, I order the same thing. Uh, and today I decided, you know, I'm just going to order whatever looks best and I ended up getting fresh fruit crepes with scrambled eggs and bacon. And it was incredible. Mm. And I just ate until my body was like, we're good. And then I asked for a to-go box. And guess what? I get to have more of it later.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it so, so much. And I can, you know, that's when you know, like you're making peace with food, that you're trusting your body. And and I, I know at the beginning of the work, I'm very honest, it feels hard. Because you haven't been living this way and you're excited. Like, I want to get there, right? I want to get to what you're saying, but it is personalized, but everybody takes their time getting there, depending on those messages and depending on, you know, what you have available to you to do this work, which means time and energy and stress and all the other things that come with life, right? But it takes time to get there and it takes that intentionality, of of doing that work and being willing to break down those rules and tear apart those messages from diet culture and the diet thoughts that you think are true that have actually been making you feel so much worse about yourself.
0: Absolutely. And then lastly, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about um, was orthorexia because you mentioned it in the beginning, but without a name. Uh, we'll we'll throw up a trigger warning. This episode already has one, but at this point in the show, we are going to be talking about disordered eating. So if this is a triggering subject, just fast forward a couple of clicks, doot doot doot, and we'll see you on the other side of it. Um, but let's talk about orthorexia. It is disordered eating. What is it? It's not in the DSM five, so it's not really uh, recognized as a, an eating disorder. yet, but it is definitely disordered eating and it falls into the toxic diet culture. So please um, explain to us what that is and how that affected you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. And that I think it's something that needs more awareness to it because you're right. It's not a diagnosed eating disorder. However, I I actually think we're living in a time where we're going to see it. Um, Very simply put, orthorexia is when you are, you've really become um, obsessed with everything that is health related, healthy behaviors become extreme, you will sacrifice other areas of your life in the name of health. So, um, for instance, I would get up at three 30 in the morning sleep was, and everyone told me that's really not morning. I understand, but I went to go work out because to get that three hours of working out in, in a day, You have to get up sometimes at 3.30 and I would sacrifice sleep, sanity, time with my family, um, and of course need a nap later in the day. Um, I struggled greatly with making sure every single macro, which means every calorie, of course, was tracked, accounted for. I would... Um, not go out with friends uh, because it's harder to track when you go out. So, going out to eat became a struggle in and of itself. Um, holidays, it was how many things can I use for substitutions? I can't eat those foods. Um, so, again, it's this obsessive nature with health related behaviors. And the problem is, like I shared at the beginning, is you're put on a pedestal, you're praised. Because you are eating foods that are deemed better there, especially, I think most people walk around, you know, with that morality feeling your body is not only shrinking, you know, you are the epitome of health, except you're absolutely 100% not. Um, I started looking into the connection between orthorexia and body dysmorphia because, um, there's so much related, so much body checking going on as well, because again, the extreme workouts and the weight loss and all of that, that comes with it. Um, and there are some connections being seen of how you start viewing your body. Um, and that it's never enough. It is never enough. You can never quite get there that even when you had a goal and you thought you were getting there, you get there and it's still not enough. Um, so yeah, the, all this is happening, of course, in our mind, but the behaviors and the actions and the habits that are created all in the name of health, all the things that are praised um, actually being very, very destructive.
0: It's really interesting. Um, I am thinking probably people listening right now are feeling a little triggered about maybe some of the health and wellness MLMs that they've been a part of that really glorify this. And, and the first one that comes to mind is Beachbody. Beachbody. And the next uh, one yep. is Optavia. Uh Those two really, really strongly with the restriction, uh, the the counting. Yeah. But beach body specifically with those stupid little rainbow containers,
1: the rainbow containers, plus their messaging on workouts. And, you know, there's a whole, um, side of, of that. We haven't talked about that. I just will bring a little attention to of the mentality of no excuses, you know, I don't want to be skinny. I want to be strong. It's really all lies in marketing that keeps you absolutely stuck in that space. You actually have excuses and reasons not to go work out. You have valid things in your life going on that are more important than what you're eating. Or, you know, if you go to the gym or not, like there are things of greater value. And you know what you are of greater value than what you eat or how your body looks like. I just think again, there's these side marketing things. And I, I do think, you know, beach body is definitely one. And I had somebody contact me actually about Octavia, like they are right up there um, really promoting disordered eating. They're doing it in a sneaky. And I think most of diet culture is sneaky, but it's a really sneaky way in the name of health. And it's actually disordered eating at its best.
0: So toxic. It's so dangerous. And, you know, they're sliding into our DMs every single day. They're promising things that are not real, that will not happen. The statistics are there for diet culture. The statistics are there for MLM. They are staggeringly similar. I bet we could chart it out and it would be pretty much the same. So yeah. the marketing companies, the, the marketing aspect of this, they know what they're doing. Like these mm-hmm. people are smarter than us. They know exactly what to say. They know the words to use the images to use. They know the guilt and the shame that they can throw on you. They know exactly how to get, they you know and how to find the, t- you.
1: the 2%. They know how to find the small percentage who have had a longer term. And I would even look at that of how long-term is their long-term, but they know how to do that. They know your weaknesses. They know that you're struggling with how you feel in your body. They know we live in a fat phobic society. They know all of it and use that to come at you. And again, it's when it's done in the name of health, you really do believe, right? You're being sold the lifestyle. What does that mean? Like, have we ever really questioned that marketing, like a lifestyle? This is my life. It's not a lifestyle if it's restrictive. It's not a lifestyle if there's counting, tracking, putting things in containers that you only have a shake. I mean, listen, if you like protein shakes and you enjoy that, I really do. There's some I really like, and it's a great way to just get some fast protein in. great. But if you're told you need to substitute meals and this is how your life should be looking, Really start questioning Is this really in the name of health? Is this really good for my overall well being?
0: Yeah. And I really liked what Dr. Lauren Merklin said in her episode. If you guys haven't seen that one, you can go back a couple episodes, uh, where she talked about ways to take a weight neutral approach to your life. Um, where really that number on the scale doesn't mean anything unless we're doing some medication doses and you don't have to succumb to this. You don't have to succumb to like, even the messaging of your doctor being like, well, I know your bones sticking out of your leg, but maybe we should try to get you to lose five pounds first. Like I've dealt with that my whole life where it's like, have you tried losing weight? And it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm here for like, this completely other issue that has nothing to do with how much I weigh. It's always been a huge source of contention for me. It always brings shame because of all the messaging in my entire life. Even though I don't feel shame, the shame comes in and says, well, you're going to feel it right now. Yeah. I don't feel it any other place in my life other than that sort of stuff. Um, and that's something that I'm working towards. Like I know I have my own anti-fat bias because of how I was raised and the things that were said to me and the things that like, I don't want to believe, even though they're true, I, I, <sighs> it is just, it has been so much to break through all of these things and to find myself again. And that is why I think it is so important to talk to people like you, people that are educated, people that have experience, people that are doing the work that are on the ground, that are helping all of these people. It's, it's just something that I've struggled with. And once I realized just like with multi-level marketing, that this is designed to fail, that this is designed to keep me trapped, that this is designed to keep me mad and hateful toward myself and who does that benefit cuz it's not benefiting me right and once i started to break that up i knew i needed to talk to people that could explain it better than i could cuz i don't have that education uh it has been so unbelievably eye opening my life has i don't want to say 180 but it's almost there mm-hmm. and i don't know man bringing pleasure back into food going to a restaurant and being like what do I want to get? What sounds good? What drink am I going to pair with this? How am I going to create an experience? Mm-hmm. Because I'm all about experiences. I want to look back and go, dang, that was a really fun time. Those tacos were incredible. Let's go do that again because that brought me so much joy, so much dopamine. Yeah. I'm chasing this dopamine all the time and I'm actually finding it in the restrictions that the society has put on me. Yeah. I'm like, what? society saying, don't do this. And I do it. And I'm just like, but that made me happy. Dopamine. It was not bad. Like it's insane. So uh, I don't know what, whatever you glean from what I just said in my little tangent, but I'm just, I'm so proud of, of us even being able to have this conversation and people listening and, and people learning.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I really believe that if, if we could get this as our fundamental truth, you know, that you actually are the expert on you. I am not. I never tell my clients what to eat. If they ask for a suggestion for like, hey, how do you make Brussels sprouts? Clearly I know how to make Brussels sprouts, but you know, other than that, I don't tell them. They are the expert on their body and we've lost that belief. So when we regain that and believe it as truth, I'm telling you your entire world, the 180, right? Your entire world can and it will change. My clients say all the time it's like we started talking about, you know, intuitive eating and we're doing that and when they start trusting themselves in food, oh man, other areas of their life start shifting and changing and it's like this is what I'm talking about. This is this is living into who you really are without all that other messages. Now, I wish we could have be immune to it. I totally wish that, you know, we could wake up every day feeling amazing. But that's not reality, but we can have strategies and tools and empowerment to when those things show up, not stay stuck in them or have them define us long term.
0: Absolutely. I love it. I love that we're breaking these stigmas across the board. Um, It's, it's great. (laughs) so great. I love it. I
1: agree. It's so good. It's so good. And I appreciate that you really have opened up this platform to call out all the lies everywhere, all the toxicity everywhere. Like that's what you're doing. And I am truly appreciative of that because I, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge anti MLM fan. Like I, I have been for so long and I think it's because I don't like to be lied to. And when I look at that, it is a lie. And when I look at diet culture, it is littered with lies. So I love that you have seen like the commonalities and that we need to just really call out the liars and bring them to the table. And then hopefully somebody has something to chew on. Hopefully somebody has something to go, huh? Hadn't thought about that. I'm a huge fan of curiosity. Like just for a moment, step back, ask yourself some questions. You don't have to land where I land. But just get curious.
0: Yeah. And the even cooler ripple effect from this is that someone is going to hear this and maybe change things, maybe decide to post about something, break some stigmas. And then that ripple effect will continue and continue yes. and continue. Yes. So, I mean, I'm so happy that you're here for everybody who is listening today and are like, yeah, like Jennifer, 100%. How do I get hooked up with you? Where can I find you? I need to follow this woman. She is speaking my language right now. Where can everybody find you to follow and and maybe even inquire about your services?
1: Absolutely. Listen, I'm an Instagram girl. I, I do a lot of the platforms, but on Instagram, it's very simply Jennifer underscore health coach for life. And the four is the number four and actually represents that I have four daughters because they are such a heart of this work. So, Jennifer underscore health coach for life. And my website is the same name it's healthcoachforlife.com. I also have a podcast if they want to listen about intuitive eating and really dive deeper into the work on that kind of platform, because they obviously love podcasts. It's health, life, and more for women. You'll see my smiling face on there. I'm a little sassy. So I think perfect for this (laughs) listener. Like if you like the sass and literally me laughing at myself on a continual basis, um, I do offer free consultations because it needs to really be the right time And you need to be in the right place to be able to step into this work. And that's why I offer that as well. So anyone listening, if you head on to Instagram or to my website, you'll find opportunities to connect with me. I have lots of freebies, lots of content for you, and a lot of sassy reels right on the gram.
0: And I love that I am able to present someone that will never suck you into a pyramid scheme because (laughs) she knows what's up.
1: Absolutely.
0: So we're going to do some rapid fire questions, but I'm changing it from MLM to toxic diet culture. Ooh, okay. You ready?
1: I'm excited. I don't know. I've heard the, the MLM one. So now I'm like, all right, now I got to shift my focus. I'm, I'm ready.
0: What is a word that encompasses how you feel about toxic diet culture? Pissed.
1: Ooh, that just came out. Did you? Oh, all right. Yeah. Pissed. Mm-hmm. That's,
0: that's what this exercise is for. Absolutely. (laughs) What is a warning to somebody that you see who is stuck in toxic diet culture? uh, And and maybe you want to help them open their eyes and and get out of it.
1: Be kind to yourself. If you notice you're having a lot of negative thoughts, you can't get out of it. Ask for help. It's okay.
0: What is the worst part of diet culture in your opinion? Mm,
1: Everything that it takes away from you, including your joy.
0: What is the hardest lesson that you learned when you were stuck in the toxic diet culture cycle?
1: Oh man, you are getting me with, these are heavy. I put too much value on the size of my body.
0: Wow. I feel that one. Yeah. Um, and a positive takeaway. Oh, good. <laughs> from your time in toxic diet culture that you still use in your business, and your life today.
1: Well, that's such a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that I enjoy lifting weights, you know, that's how I discovered lifting weights. It's the movement that gives me the most joy. Um, So I, I did take that with me.
0: I mean, seriously, that's my favorite question because I know that like shit sucks sometimes, right? And like, you're in these, like we call it the abyss, you're down in this abyss and you're like, nothing, 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 but there's always a silver lining. There's always one. And sometimes you don't see it until you're out of it and you can really address everything. Mm -hmm. But yes, the fact that you learned, Hey, I like lifting weights, actually, like I got sucked into this horrible thing, but I found an exercise that I really enjoy. Absolutely.
1: And And I I do, I do think that's the case is, you know, sometimes we can find those little nuggets. I call them, um, that come from there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely think that way about it. I think that lifting weights is the only pleasurable movement I have. I think people who run are the most amazing humans. Cause I don't know how you do it folks, but I think that's a good thing too, because you beat yourself up a lot less when you can see it that way.
0: Yeah. We got to have like apple pie at the finish line. And there's gotta be like serial killers chasing me with knives for me to run. Like, I just, I don't do that. I yeah. never have. <laughs> I love swimming. I love oh, walking. Mm. I love hiking uh, because yeah. like just exploring really cool places. Like those are really fun ways to move and get out of the house and get some sunshine and get some fresh air and, you know, get out of our surroundings that a lot of people probably don't think of as exercise because it's not in a gym and there isn't equipment involved. But I mean, you guys could be doing pearls with cans of peas and French cut green beans if you want
1: Listen, you and I are just going to dance and go put the laundry away. I think that's all we need in life. Laundry's that's, put away and we've danced it out for the day.
0: That's absolutely true. Thank you so much, Jennifer. This was a pleasure.
1: Thanks
2: for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe,
0: and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast.